Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember to go check out the website and see the post about this episode and the past episodes, but also for my social media links and my donate button, which speaking of which, thank you so much to Meredith and Steve for your donations since the last episode. Speaking of last, last time, the red eyebrows. Wang Mang's attempt to bring China back to the Xia dynasty failed at the hands of, well, yeah, the Red Eyebrows, that peasant rebel group that popped up as the rivers flooded and the government failed. Now, another ruler will come and try to salvage all of this, which we know to some degree eventually does happen because the Han Dynasty as a whole is only at its midway point. Yeah, I know, I'm gonna have to start speeding up this show because we have been on this dynasty for over a year. Though if you like the pace we're going at, shoot me an email and let me know. Or if you don't, same thing. Oh, and of course, rate the show five stars. It means a lot to me. But anyway, how is he the one to salvage it? Or will this new ruler and the dynasty as a whole stay under the sway of the red eyebrows in perpetuity? All that and more on this week's episode. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 47. Enter the Eastern Han, Part 1. Wang Mang came and went, but that did not mean that his death led to everything just being sorted out. Things had obviously been thrown for a loop. The government had no legitimacy. The economy was blown out. Oh, and yeah, there were massive roving bandit groups all over. Was there a clear legitimate ruler at least? No. China was not unified. China was not doing well. And it truly was going to take something incredible to keep it all together. Ironically, at this same time... Rome was dealing with its first emperor. So, both the Han Dynasty and ancient Rome would be grappling with these epoch-shifting moments at the same time. After Wang Mang's death, I mentioned there arose a character called the Gengshi Emperor. G-E-N-G-S-H-I Emperor. Was he the emperor of the entire landmass that was the Western Han? He said he was. Was he really, though? Eh, not even close. He was the emperor of the pieces he could pick up quickly. To that, he had a lot more pieces yet to pick up, and some were metaphorically stuck in his side as well. To his credit, in 25 AD, and you know what? I will just refer to the years as the year that they are in without the CE or AD. Anyway, to his credit, in year 25, he got to work to try and get the show back on the road. Maybe the Xin Dynasty was just a hiccup after all. He moved the capital to Luoyang, a better location strategically for him and politically, and the pieces, well, yeah, he was holding. It was a good move. He then had to figure out what in the world to do with the followers of the defunct Wang Mang Xin Dynasty if you can even call it a dynasty. 
The dynasty might have ended a sham, but there were real officials in it with real ability. And yeah, some with real remaining power and sway in their own little respective spheres. Oh, and what in the world are you going to do about the red eyebrows and all their leadership? Left untouched, these once diffuse groups would slowly turn into little warlord kingdoms. <sighs> I did not say the Gungshur Emperor had a short list of to-dos. Oh, and on top of that, during the chaos, local government officials had really gone back in time and fashioned themselves in a warring state setting, in that they began to wield real autonomous power over their own little regions. Everyone likes being their own boss, so yeah. There is yet even more the Gungshur Emperor has to contend with. The solution to most of this was risky, but pretty simple. Promise the old officials they can keep their post if they submit. Promise red eyebrow leaders titles and whatnot if they submit. At first, the policy kind of actually worked. I mean, given the entire dynasty was absolutely in flames just a year before, to have the old Western Han Dynasty's lands even tacitly submitting was honestly a genuine success. Even Fan Chong, that powerful leader within the Red Eyebrows, came to the capital and submitted himself. Quickly, though, reality kicked in. Because not every official could keep their post. Not every rebel leader deserved or could get a title. It was an unbelievably blanket and simple policy, and thus, eventually after a failed mini-dynasty, a tumultuous Western Han dynasty collapsed before it, and a bunch of random local officials seizing power, redundancies were everywhere. It was just not physically possible for everyone to keep their current post as it was. And yeah, you can't just give out titles to a bunch of rebel leaders willy-nilly. So soon after, local officials began to get skittish about the now clear chance that all submitting gets them is nothing but the loss of their position and power. The promises made to the Red Eyebrows and the other rebel groups were wildly inconsistent, as you would imagine. And soon as he came, Fan Chong, the rebel leader within the Red Eyebrows, left the capital and went back to his troops. More or less, things just quickly diverted back to essentially square one. As quickly as they had calmed down under the Gungshur Emperor, they were heating back up, and people were nearly up in arms again, like nothing had changed. In response to the now clear chance of full-blown collapse of the entire state, the Gungshur Emperor sent out an army. No, this was not the best army the Han had ever fielded. Nor was it the second best, or the third to that either. It was, however, still an army, and generals were tasked with putting down any dissent to the new order. And one of those generals was one Yo Xiu. 
who was sent north of the Yellow River with his respective force. Remember Liu Xiu. There is about to be a lot more of him. As the entire state began to lose confidence in the new Gengshir Emperor, well, his promises and his administration and his personal ability to lead, well, more fuel was thrown onto the now gradually out-of-control fire. In year 23, there was a pretender to the throne. Great. Just what the Gengshir Emperor needed, right as his legitimacy was increasingly scrutinized. Yeah, pretender. Not to get too bogged down, but a rogue fortune teller in the north claimed Wang Long to actually be someone else. That someone else being Liu Ziyu, and thus allegedly being a literal true son of Emperor Chang. To set the record straight, he was a pretender. And don't worry, this will happen all over the world, all the time. Lambert Simnel in England, for example. But that doesn't matter, because that hasn't happened yet, and that's a world's away. But long story short, the fortune teller proclaims one person to be another. And a pretty complicated backstory and explanation for all the plot holes in this is concocted. And before you knew it, people were actually eating this story up. The peasants were the first to buy in. After many in the region began to buy this pretender's story, the army's commanderies north of the Yellow River, well, some of them, trying to either be fair-weather fans with the common people, or they were legit believers in the theory, or just being plain opportunistic, began to defect and pledge themselves to the pretender. This went south fast for the Gengshir Emperor, didn't it? And it got so bad in Handan that General Liu Xiu had to retreat north and hole up in a defendable city because he was losing commanderies left and right, pledging allegiance to this pretender. From there, though, General Liu Xiu had a nearly impossible task. He had to go out and grab all the remaining commanderies not yet defecting, beef up their resolve, and unify them all under himself. I said nearly impossible because Liu Shou actually somehow did all that. And by year 24, he took this remaining but somehow salvaged force and besieged the Handan region, quickly cutting them all down and even going so far as to kill the pretender. Boom! Things were looking terrible for the Gengshir Emperor. He was failing on all fronts. But real recognized real as the kids say, and the Gengshir Emperor quickly made Liu Shou Prince of Xiao, and in turn made him the leader of the entire area north of the Yellow River. Finally, a win for the Gengshir Emperor. Liu Shou then proceeded to break down all remaining rebels in that region and began to actually bring them under the fold. Well, hmm, under his fold. See, this guy is clearly impressive, and I told you to remember his name for a reason. Because he was maybe too impressive. He began quietly swapping officials out 
from those loyal to the Gungshur Emperor and replace them with his own officials that were loyal to him. He made a base for himself and began to stock up men, supplies, and arguably most importantly, loyalty. Liu Shou was still technically a subordinate of the Gungshur Emperor, and that's what the Gungshur Emperor thought too. But not all was as it seemed. This whole time, Liu Shou had conflicted loyalties to the Gungshur Emperor. On one hand, the Gungshur Emperor had given him respect, power, and opportunity. On the other hand, though, he knew that the Gungshur Emperor was increasingly skittish, and maybe did not fully trust him. And on top of that, he saw the Gungshur Emperor as the reason his brother died. Oh my, the intrigue. Liu Shou had been perpetually weighing the viability and planning a breakaway from the Gungshur Emperor. And his perspective plan was two-sided. On one hand, build up military and governmental support. The other, remain with the Gungshur Emperor while standing aside and letting the red eyebrows take the Gungshur Emperor out for him. It is a potentially eight-dimensional chess move. But maybe the red eyebrows wouldn't be the ones to defeat the Gungshur Emperor. Because as Liu Shou laid like a snake in the grass, the Gungshur Emperor actually looked like he would be the one to just out and defeat himself. He was doing what he could to hose himself. He began to get sporadic, to say the least, with his decision-making, and he was becoming increasingly indecisive. On top of that, his officials began to appear more and more incapable of handling the monstrously large problems at hand. The people were already doubting this, and now they were having their doubts proven right. The emperor himself was not, maybe not good at his job, and his officials weren't much better. For one, the Gungshur Emperor decided to move the capital. Again. Headache logistically? Yeah, you can imagine. And he showed a real lack of understanding with this move because he moved the capital back to the capital of the Western Han at Chang'an. Surface level, sure, yeah, it's a capital city. Iceberg level? The city supported Wang Mong. Thus, the Gungshur Emperor and his government were traitors in the eyes of the people there. Yeah, his solution? Mass pardons. He said, you know what? I'll pardon all of you. You can all hate me. It's fine. And like the last time, it worked to calm everyone down for all of about 25 minutes. Because this time, instead of there not being physically enough government posts to uphold all of his ludicrous promises, the Gungshur Emperor went out and made all of nobody believe in him. He was a traitor, and now he was a timid and weak and quickly withdrawing mess of a leader. He came off allegedly scared in meetings and services, and he began to drink more and more and more. 
So much so, he was just not reachable at times. So he was forced to delegate decision-making to the father of one of his consorts. Oh yeah, this is going to go great. No, of course it doesn't. Because this official abused his newfound power to no end. And thus continued to drive the Gungshire Emperor's legitimacy and integrity into the ground. Had this happened at some point during the Western Han Dynasty when things were good, he probably would have gone down as just a pretty bad emperor. But this is happening during all of this, when decisions are needed and things are falling apart, and he's trying to put them together. Though finally, after some time, not a while, a few months, some honest government members got to the emperor and explained what in the world was happening with his, well, abusive official. And the emperor did have this power-abusing official executed pretty quickly, but then only to find out when he got sober that, wait a minute, most of my top officials are abusing their power. All this realization did for the Gungshur Emperor was drive him further into a confused and timid state. He was falling apart. While Liu Shou was getting stronger, the Gungshur Emperor was getting weaker. In the autumn of the year 24, the Gungshur Emperor decided to do something, and he set out to capture modern-day Sichuan, held by the local warlord Gong Sun Shu. And remember his name, he's going to come up again too. Well, his name's going to come up again, so you can imagine what happens next. Yes, the local warlord defeated the Gungshur Emperor's invading army. That's not good. And by the end of that year, 24, the Red Eyebrows finally began to present themselves back into the story. This was not actually a guarantee up to this point. Liu Xiao had been banking, as we know, on the Red Eyebrows going out and actually doing something to damage the Gungshur Emperor, if not outright destroying him themselves. Thankfully, Liu Xiao was keeping his plan a secret, because by the end of the year 24, the Red Eyebrows were on the verge of their own self-administered collapse. The Red Eyebrows, I mean, they were bandits. They're not super well-trained or organized, and they were not career soldiers. They were mostly just people. Many were just tired and wanted to go back home. They were not outright threatening defection, not at all. They loved the cause, they just needed a break, that's all. Realizing that letting this loose group of peasants and bandits leave for a bit, expecting them to come back to the front lines, would effectively mean they would never again have those numbers in one place, the leaders of the Red Eyebrows realized they had to do something. So... To garner some excitement amongst the masses of the Red Eyebrows' general masses, and to stop them from leaving, it was announced that they were going to attack the imperial capital Chang'an straight up. Yeah, go big or go home, or go big and don't go home. Either way, that was enough of a reason to stay for the tired masses of the Red Eyebrows. And just like that, Liu Xiu's plan was back on track. The red eyebrows were on the move. 
Liu's show, to clarify, simply pretended to still be the Gungshur Emperor's ally and, and loyal servant, all while letting the red eyebrows go on their own to do their own thing. But this plan was becoming increasingly ill-timed, and realizing he probably had to act now, knowing that things were going to happen in quick succession, Liu Xiao declared himself emperor. Boom, I know. This is all happening in the span of two years. And he immediately sent one of his generals to capture Shanxi, something that general did quickly, putting another proverbial nail in the coffin for the Gungshur emperor. And this is really where the wheels fall off the bus for him. Realizing the metaphorical boat that was the Gungshur emperor and his regime was sinking, some generals in the capital opted to stage their own coup. So to clarify the situation, you are the Gungshur emperor. Liu Xiao, your most powerful general, just declared himself emperor and is quickly snatching up men and territory at a shocking rate. Oh, the red eyebrows are coming for you, by the way, and the whole capital city. And now your generals are starting to crack. Yikes. Things started so well at the beginning of this episode, they have just gone downhill so fast. Though, to his credit and maybe a success, the Gungshire general's coup was found out. And most were executed except for the fact that one actually succeeded in seizing most of the capital city in the chaos. Oh my, he just can't catch a break, can the Gungshur Emperor? And this really was a potential game over situation. So the Gungshur Emperor did the last thing he could do. I mean, his last literal available option. He fled the city. That left the Gungshur Emperor on the run. Liu Xiao snapping up men in territory, the capital under the control of this rogue general who was General Zhang Ang, and the red eyebrows were about to crash into the capital. So, of all those people, who do you think's in the best position? I'm tossing my hat in with Liu Xiao. Realizing that they may not be in the best position of all of them, uh, though albeit it was still a pretty great one, the red eyebrows realized the game they were playing just became zero-sum. I mean, everything was to play for now. If they took the capital, they could theoretically install an emperor of their choosing, and they kind of had to, because Liu Shou just declared himself as emperor. So in a bit of legitimacy, they really had to find somebody to make emperor, or to claim as their own emperor. And this would give them purpose to a level they really had not had yet. Remember the last episode in this narrative? The Red Eyebrows started off kind of as an accident. Some floods, some bad policy, some vendettas from a local mother, and next thing you know, ipso facto, boom, you have a roving group of bandits, and now they're looking to potentially install a new emperor? Yikes. Things really have been moving fast. So the Red Eyebrows ended up drawing lots between the kids of a venerated military figure in their lands, and it was one 15-year-old Liu Penzi who was declared emperor by the Red Eyebrows. 
three and a half people are now laying claim seriously to the title of emperor. There are tons of others. I mean, there are family members of old Han Dynasty emperors claiming, oh, I was a distant cousin or my mom was a consort. And there's tons of pretenders and people that claim it. But really in this Game of Thrones, there were three and a half people seriously in a position to claim it. But unlike Game of Thrones, this story won't devolve into bad writing and nonsensical conclusions. The Red Eyebrows were storming the capital to install Liu Penzi as emperor. That gave them legitimacy. But did Liu Penzi lead them? Personally? Well, I mean, come on, of course not. He was just a puppet. The real leaders were the generals of the Red Eyebrows. Well, so you had the puppet emperor of the Red Eyebrows, Liu Penzi. You then had Liu Xiu as himself emperor. The Gengshu emperor was still out there. And then there was General Zhang Ang sitting in the capital, kind of, but let's be real, no one really knows what his game plan was. His whole plan was not to really be emperor, so three and a half, the half being General Zhang Ang, who took the city by kind of accident, he's not really going for the emperorship, but hey, he controls the capital currently. So that is where I will leave things for part one. Now... I told you I wrote a long essay. Part two is right below me, and I'm going to record it after I record this. So this episode will come out today, and the next one will come out about Friday. I got to stagger them a little bit, but maybe it comes out earlier. Who knows? Remember to go check out the website, and please rate the show five stars. Donate if you so feel the need to. Again, I'm just out of college. I wouldn't oppose it. But anyway... We'll pick up the story where we left off next time. So anyway, really, thank you so much for listening. And I'll see you all next time on the history of China. <laughs>